Hey, welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it up. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. Good morning. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 19. The Acts of the Apostles is what it's called, chapter 19. And if you don't have a traditional Bible, but you'd like one and you're okay with raising your hand, do that. And one of my friends will give you one that you can borrow or that you can keep. You can also take your smart device and open the YouVersion app or the Bible app, and all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded. And we'll put the scriptures on the screen behind us. If you're watching us online or one of our other gatherings, love you guys. So glad that you are a part of our family and love you guys. Super glad that you're part of our family in this beautiful, man, this is a great summer so far. Just the weather, it's just been fantastic. I was in Phoenix, it was 116 degrees. I was in Seattle, it was 97 degrees in Seattle and nobody has air conditioning. Like everyone felt like they were gonna melt. And so you come back here and the weather's perfect. Like three months of the year, the weather is perfect. It's just incredible. And so we're in week three of this series where we're trying to actually teach you about the Holy Spirit, where we're talking about the who, the what, the why, and the how. Today, I want to talk about the why in a message that we're calling the baptism. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for who you are, what you do, everything that you represent, everything that you've installed in us, everything that you're pulling up in every situation and scenario that we need, God. Thank you that there's nothing that we can encounter that we're not equipped for. God, thank you for your presence, for your spirit that was here before we ever got here, that was making plans and preparations before we even made a decision to come to this place. And so today, God, I pray that you would illuminate your word, that our hearts would be opened, that our minds would be changed, that our lives would be transformed in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 19, it finds us about 30 or 40 years past where Pastor Dallas left off last week. It's 30 or 40 years after that initial upper room kind of Pentecost experience. And and there's this massive kind of church planting effort happening. It's it's an apostolic effort that's happening, an apostolic thing where where, uh, the early believers are starting. They're planting new churches all over the place. And this this whole idea of Jesus, this movement that subscribed to the fact that we subscribe to, that is so common now, but was so uncommon then, this idea that Jesus, Yeshua, was the Messiah who had been promised. That idea was spreading. It was catching fire in little towns across what's now known as modern-day Turkey. Lots of little coastal towns, places like Ephesus, Philippi, and Colossae. And and this explosion of Jesus' message into these towns, it gives us what we now know as a lot of our New Testament books. They were letters that a guy named Paul, an apostle, he wrote to encourage these church planters whom he trained and sent out and the churches that they had started and were leading. And, And so the book of Acts, which was written by Luke, who who kind of started out as Paul's personal physician. Paul was sick a lot, and so he had a friend named Paul who kind of started out as as his personal 
traveling physician, but as time went on, Luke was trained in this apostolic sort of ministry. And, and that guy, Luke, he writes some really interesting and very revealing things about the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. Luke says, while Apollos was at Corinth, that's one of the church plants. It's in a city named Corinth. It's, it's where we get the books of first and second Corinthians. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and he arrived at Ephesus. It's where we get the book of Ephesians. There, there he, Paul, found some disciples, just followers of Jesus, people like you and me. And when he found those disciples, he asked them this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Or, or did you receive the Holy Spirit uh, when you became a Jesus follower? And they answered him, no. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. That, that scripture made me think about this whole message and how I wanted to present this today. Uh, because Paul, he's asking them if they've received what we now know as the baptism in or as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but not only had they not received the baptism, they didn't even know that a Holy Spirit existed. And I think that there's a whole subset of church people who operate their lives in that fashion. They operate their lives in that way as if they didn't even know that a Holy Spirit existed. And so I want to unpack that concept scripturally today because a lot of people may have heard of the baptism in or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, particularly if you grew up in a Pentecostal kind of environment or if you know Pentecostal people. You, you, you know, uh, there, there's Pentecostal people and, and then uh, I, I would say there's Pentecostal light people. Those are people that they, they kind of went to a a Pentecostal church, and then there's and then there's then there's Pentecostal people, like Pentecostal people. You know what I'm talking about? It's emphasized. There, there's uh, there there's Pentecostal and there's charismatic people. And so there's some people who they've they've heard of the baptism in or of the Holy Spirit, but because they've known someone or somewhere, they've gotten intimidated. They've gotten confused by it. Maybe even a little bit weirded out about it, but, but it's nothing to be afraid of. It's nothing to be weirded out by. I mean, first the word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo. It, it just means to be fully submerged, to go all in. Baptizo, it means immersion or submersion. The word baptize literally means to immerse, to, to complete, completely submerge someone in something, whether that something is water or whether it is a concept, you're just immersed, you're, you're all into it. And, and basically, baptism is applied in three different ways uh, biblically. In other words, God has three baptisms or three things that we should be immersed in that are represented in the New Testament. So I want to show you those today. Three types of baptisms in the New Testament. And, and all three of them, incidentally, are for you. And according to scripture, they all stand alone. They all stand as separate experiences. And so henceforth, though, they should all three be pursued and hopefully experienced. So three types of baptism in the, in the New Testament. Here's the first is the baptism of salvation. And you hear that and you think, is that a baptism? Yeah, absolutely. Because when you receive Jesus, you are baptized into the body of Christ. And I'm going to show you three different places in scripture where it talks about that, that, that when you become a Jesus person, you're baptized one of two ways. You are either baptized into Jesus. 
feel like I should start rapping, like there's a beat that's about to go on right now. Like, uh, you're either, either baptized into Jesus or you're baptized into his body, meaning the body of believers, AKA meaning the church. So 1 Corinthians says, for we're all baptized by one spirit into one body. Galatians uses the same concept. It says, you're all sons of God through faith in Jesus. Watch this, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves in Christ. Let me show you another one. This is, this is the first people to experience this first baptism. It's the early disciples. I wanna set up the story because remember last week, Pastor Dallas said that after Jesus' resurrection, he spent 40 days in a glorified body, just eating and drinking and like appearing to people. And, and what Jesus was doing was he was just building their faith and he was giving them some final instructions. Now, now that their eyes were opened. See, see, before his death and resurrection, some of their eyes were not completely open. Some of their hearts were not completely open. There were some things that they couldn't really grab hold of, that they couldn't really grasp until they really took in this idea of the fact that Jesus was not only going to die, but that he was going to uh, come back again. And so the Gospel of John shows us one of those appearances that happened. He, he, he hasn't ascended or gone to heaven yet, and this, this Pentecost thing hasn't happened yet. It's, it's inside of those 50 days between Passover and Pentecost. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, huge detail. <laughs> Watch this. They were in this room with the doors locked because they were fearful of the Jewish leaders. While that was happening, while the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be still. Now, when you read the Bible, two-dimensional, you just skim over that. But when you read the, the Bible, like, like three, 3D, like you, like you put yourself in, in the story. <laughs> A few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Sonny, Pastor Dallas and I, we went uh, to the movies. We went to see the new Top Gun, which by the way, if you haven't seen the new Top Gun, bro, it's good from the first scene to the last scene. It's so good. Best movie I've seen all year. I would dare to say, God, please don't strike me. I think number two is better than number one. It was so good, so good. And, and uh, during the previews, which I love the previews, because the previews let me know what, I, sometimes take pictures of the screen so I know what I want to watch next. And so, so the preview came on, and, and it was a scary, you could tell it was a scary movie. I can't play no horror movies, uh-uh, I ain't the one. I don't do horror movies, nah, uh -uh. I ain't trying to be scared. And so, so this, this movie came on, and, and I looked at Pastor Dallas, I said, oh, heck no, nope. He goes, wait for it. And the thing came on in the movie, it's called, nope. I said, yeah, exactly. I ain't trying to be scared. I'm not trying to be scared. So you take yourself and you read the Bible and you put yourself in it. They're in the room with the doors locked. And Jesus, who's Who's dead? Are you following me? He shows up among them. And the Bible says it's so, so, it's so nonchalant. Jesus said, and Jesus appeared and he said, peace be still. And then it goes on to the next. Here's why he said, peace be still. 
Because he showed up in the room and somebody said, oh, heck no. <laughs> ah! <laughs> it's a ghost. <laughs> Somebody's tri- Somebody was like, did you take shrooms before you came in here? Because I thought we were there and we saw him dead. And Jesus said, whoa, man, slow your roll, play. Hey, chill, bro. Peace be still. And after this, after what? After they freaked the heck out, (laughs) Jesus showed them his hands and his side so he could prove that it was him. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And now he had to say, peace be with you, because they were freaking out in a different way. They weren't freaking out with fear. They were freaking out with boldness. Oh, shoot. You better look out now. Y'all thought he was dead. I know somebody was rapping or somebody. It was just like somebody. You thought he was dead. He's not dead. He's alive. We're going to kill everybody. We got a zombie on our side. It's like, nobody can kill this guy. We're going to take over the world. Because the disciples thought that Jesus was there to start an army, to take over the world. And when you think you're going to start an army and suddenly you have a guy that is immortal, you go, there's no way we're not going to win. So Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And that doesn't mean what you'd assume. Because the word breathe here is the word used for the spirit in the second verse of the Bible. It says in that scripture that God breathed on the earth and the creation process began. It's the Hebrew word ruach. It's translated as the Greek word pneuma. And what this is saying here is that the power of the Holy Spirit came from Jesus and the same spirit that created the heavens and the earth is the same spirit that was about to begin something new inside of them that was about to not just create the world, but was about to recreate the world. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, when you look at a story like that in any of the Gospels, you have to ask yourself, is it in one of the other Gospels? And if it is, it's important that you look at all the other accounts of the same story, because I'm sure that you know this, but the Gospels, aka the story of Jesus, they're written by four different people, but they're the same story. And the cool thing is they all point out different details. In theological terms, it's what's called the harmony of the Gospels. Harmony, same song, different tone. So look at Luke's account, same story, different tone. Luke 24, I'm going to start at verse 49, but if you want to see that it's telling the same story, go back later in your own time and start at verse 36, and you're going to see that it's all the same details. But here at the end, Luke adds a detail that John didn't, verse 49. He says, I'm going to, that's future tense, hasn't happened. And you think, wait, I thought they just received the Holy Spirit. Hold that thought. Jesus says, I'm going to send you what my father's promised, but stay in the city until you've been, hasn't happened yet, until you've been not filled, until you've been clothed, baptized, fully immersed with power from on high. 
So Luke wrote this book, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, the same author tells the same story, but he adds another detail. He says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. What proofs? His hands and his side. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God on one occasion. Pause. Which occasion? The one we just read about in Luke and in John. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father has promised, which you've heard me talk about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, hasn't happened yet, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And again, you think, I thought that they were already baptized, to which I'd say no. They've only experienced the first baptism. In the first baptism, this one we're talking about, you have an infilling of the Holy Spirit, but you haven't received the baptism. You haven't been immersed in the Holy Spirit. And as you're going to see throughout the New Testament, these are separate experiences. Look at it like this. Be, uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit is like putting water in a glass. Uh, but, but being baptized in the Holy Spirit is like putting that glass inside of a swimming pool. Both water, just different experiences. So, so that's the first baptism, is the baptism uh, of salvation. The second baptism is water baptism. And this isn't with salvation. This is some people have... Uh, intertwine these two things, but it's a totally separate experience. And I'll tell you why, because if you had to be baptized to be saved, that would mean that you were saved because of a work, but salvation doesn't work that way. Works cannot save you. And the Bible is super clear on that. You, you can't pray your way in after the fact you can't light enough candles. You can't have enough cards with people's pictures on them. You, you can't make enough penance. You can't put enough pebbles on. This is how Islam believes. Islam believes that throughout your life, you have to put enough pebbles on one side of the scale as opposed to the other side of the scale. And if there is enough pebbles on the side that says you are good, then, then you get to go to paradise and you get to have that whole experience. But Jesus came along and he debunked that whole idea when he said, there is no one good. You, you can't put enough pebbles on one side of the scale. If you don't believe that, go drive anywhere on earth and you'll realize, oh, better take that pebble, better take that pebble. Maybe I'm the only person that gets super mad when he drives. If I had all, if I would win the Powerball and the $1.1 billion, the first thing that I would do is buy a car that I don't want to drive. And I would have some guy named Jeeves and his name could be whatever it is. But if I pay him enough money, I can call him whatever I want. And then I, Jeeves would take me everywhere. And I would have a, the dark, I wouldn't even have windows in the car. Cause I would, I would be so, I wouldn't want to be distracted by the people who are driving. Do you ever feel like when you're driving, everyone's trying to kill you <laughs> or trying to get in your way or trying to make you mad or be an inconvenience to you or uh, so, so if you, if you feel like you could put enough pebbles on one side, you've never driven, you've never gone to the Walmart ever in your life. You ever went to a Walmart the other day, pastor Barry and I, uh, were in Fort Lauderdale and we were, uh, help, helping a pastor go through a restoration process. And, and one night at 1130, we went to Walmart in Fort, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And I'm pretty sure either the rapture happened 
or a hurricane. Like, I don't know. No one was working there. Not one person worked at. There were five million people at the Walmart. All I wanted was a fan. There's, it's like five, and everyone was in line, and everyone was at the self-checkouts, and every self-checkout had a red light flashing, but no one was working there. It was insane, and so I just, I just took the fan and went, no, I didn't do that. I just, I was like, are you kidding? And, and uh, you could feel the temperature. In the, you ever been in a place where you feel like, I looked at Barry, I said, bro, I don't need this fan this bad. We need to get on up, because uh, somebody's going to lose it. Have you ever been in an environment like that where it feels like somebody, and maybe it's you, is, is going to lose it? And so if, if you think that you can put enough pebbles on one side, it doesn't work that way. Salvation is a gift. It, it, it's a gift from God, and it's got nothing to do with works. And the reason that it has nothing to do with works is because God doesn't want anyone to be able to boast about it. But, but there's these weird factions of the church who would say, like, if you aren't water baptized, you're not going to go to heaven. You're going to go to hell. And it's not true. It's not in the book. There, there's a whole nother subset of like weird factions in a, the church who would even say that if the guy baptizing you says the wrong words, you can go to hell. That's crazy. I really hope that's not true. Because like I go, are you you're like, I'm underwater. I don't even know what the guy is saying, I come up, I think it's done. I've lived the rest of my life thinking I'm gonna show up to heaven and I, yay, I got the all in t-shirt. I wanna wear it when I get there. But when I get there, are you telling me that Jesus is gonna go, nah, bro, can't let you in. Guy got it all wrong, messed it up, said the wrong words, bro. I don't know what to tell you. Are you kidding me? Baptism doesn't save you. It's just symbolizing the salvation you've already received. There's nothing magical about the water or the word. So, so here at Life Church, we practice what you would call biblical baptism. There are two things that happened in regard to water baptism biblically. Number one, it was always post-salvation. And number two, it was almost always spontaneous and immediate. Believe, baptized. Believe, baptized. Believe, baptized. That's the order. In this book, it's a decision that is made after you came to Jesus. And we aren't trying to disrespect any of your experiences. They were and are beautiful. But there are 27 baptisms in the New Testament, and they are all done after salvation. There are no infant baptisms in the entire Bible. It's a tradition that the liturgical church came up with hundreds of years after the Bible was finished. Again, was it special? Yeah. Meaningful? Yes. Beautiful? Absolutely. But biblical? No. It's a conscious adult decision symbolizing that I'm not turning back, that I'm literally going all in. So there's a second baptism that you and I should experience, and it is water baptism. If you haven't taken that step as an adult, you can do that on August the 28th. And if you want information on that, you can go uh, to the Welcome Center in between services. Finally, there is a third baptism, and it is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And, and this is what confuses some people. Because if you're a Jesus person, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. When, when you receive Jesus, you receive the gift, the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But there is a separate baptism in or of the Holy Spirit. And the reason that people get confused 
is because they've been taught all kinds of things that have been based on tradition rather than on scripture. And, and that tradition has been packaged with all kinds of stuff that's crazy and weird and spooky. Uh, but this idea of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, it isn't just about speaking in tongues or about falling on the ground or, or going into some sort of a trance or handling snakes. But, but like some people have connected those things to this thing. And yes, to be clear, speaking in tongues is part of this. It's a big part of it. In fact, the book of Acts says that it is the initial evidence. But, but when we make a part of something, the whole of something, it's just going to get off track. So to be clear, I am a tongue talker. I speak in tongues like, like every single day. I was right back there praying in the spirit as Pentecostals would call it. I was right out there praying in the spirit before I walked out here because the Bible says that some of you will pray in utterances. You'll You'll pray in ways that you don't know how to pray because I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you don't know what to do. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you pray, but you don't know what to say. Sometimes you've got to pray in the spirit so the Holy Spirit can pray through you for the people in your life. So, so I've, I speak in tongues like every single day, but I've been in services in churches where like people were falling all over the floor. People were pushing them down. They were taking their coat and they were like they were uh, Houdini, and they and pe- the whole place, like, they looked like, they looked like dominoes, bro, except me. It's like the whole place fell but me, and I felt so awkward. I was at a service one time, and the guy was walking over, and he did, people was lined up, and I was lined up, because he said, you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I was lined up, and a dude was coming by, and he hit hitting everybody in the head, and then he hit me in the head, and everybody fell but me. I felt. And then he caught, he caught that I didn't fall. He said, like, bow, bow. He hit me and he said, bow, bow. Man, I felt like Mike Tyson. I felt like this. I said, man, you hit me one more time. I'm going to act like I'm at Walmart at Fort Lauderdale at 1130 at night or driving in traffic. Because... You're going to make me lose my mind up in here. <laughs> and it, I never did fall. I just had a big old, looked like Ash Wednesday, but didn't have any, any, any ashes. I had, I've been in those services, and, and, and people were like super emotional, and they were all frothed up. And I'm not saying that, that all those experiences were or are fake. I'm just telling you, I've never experienced that. I've never been in a service where I lost control, where I fell out and woke up and didn't remember where I was. And you know what? As I sought the baptism in the Holy Spirit, those things hindered me rather than helped me. And it took me a long time to get mature enough in my faith to realize that weird experiences don't equate to a weird God. Weird experiences equate to weird people. And some of those weird people cause a lot of other people to think, I'll just stick with the first baptism, maybe the second, but they think they'll be all right without the third. And you know what? In a way, you'd be right. Because all you need to get to heaven is Jesus. And any theological doctrinal stance that will tell you you have to be 
a tongue talker to get into heaven, that is extra biblical. Because Jesus said, no one shall come to the Father except through me. Here's the thing about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's not even for heaven. It's for here. Do you know why it's not for heaven? Because you won't need to have the baptism in the Holy Spirit when you get to heaven because you'll already be in the Holy Spirit when you get to heaven. You ain't going to need to speak in other tongues when you get to heaven because we're all going to be in the same mind, in the same spirit when we get there. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is to give you power on this earth to survive this earth. And so, yes, to think that I don't need this baptism, it would be correct, but it would be narrow-sighted because there's a beautiful benefit to the third baptism, just like there is to the second. And I want to show you in Scripture that it's nothing to be afraid of. And there are lots of places that we could look in Scripture, lots of stories that we could look at. But for the sake of time, let me show you one where we see all three baptisms separately and simultaneously. Acts chapter 8. It says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria, and he proclaimed Jesus there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs that he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame, they were healed. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom and the name of Jesus, that's the first baptism, they were baptized. That's the second baptism both men and women. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. All I'm trying to show you today is that God has a journey that he wants to take you on, a journey toward fullness. And, and it's not about Who's got whatever? It's a progressive thing where we get stronger and stronger, where we get rid of some things so that we can make room for other things. Some of you don't have the Holy, the baptism in the Holy Spirit because it's, it's just like filled with other things. And some of those things are doubt. Some of those things are, are pride or animosity. But this, this idea of this, this baptism in or of the Holy Spirit it's a journey where we become less like us and more like him. And, and the devil, our enemy, he's been a master of keeping people from that power through scaring them away. Scaring them away from something that is innocent and pure, not freaky, weird, or spooky. Something where God wants to empower you. See, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Power to what? To be my witnesses. Power to what? To win. To win in your marriages and in your finances and in your career, your body, your mind, your heart. But for us to win, it requires that we be immersed in him. If you remember in the first week of this series, I said that uh, Jesus said, I'm going to send you a parakletos, someone to walk alongside you. Someone who wants to pick up the slack. Someone who, who wants to carry you in those moments that you don't have the strength to go on. And so for us to live our lives in the fullness. I mean, you can go to heaven without this. But for you to experience the fullness of who God is requires that you be immersed in him. Requires that you go all in. And, and before you can go all in with the third baptism, you've got to go all in with the first, the baptism of salvation. And so I'm wondering if you're here today and you haven't done that, if you will, because there is a baptism 
for us all. Would you close your eyes all across this place? The baptism, the first, the baptism of salvation. And sometimes even the words that we use in the church, they can, they can get distracting. There's uh, words that we think as lifers that people understand. But sometimes when you ask somebody about salvation, it can be confusing. So if you're into here today and you haven't been saved, you, you haven't started a relationship with Jesus, really all it is is recognizing that you're not able to, to do this thing on your own and that you need help. So I wonder if you're here today and you say, Sean, I, I haven't surrendered my life to this salvation process where Jesus will rescue me from the life that amen. We're gonna give you the opportunity to do that today. The Bible says it requires two things. It takes confession and profession. Confessing um, that you have sin in your life and professing the fact that you believe that Jesus can get rid of that. So if you're here today and you say, Sean, I've, I've got sin in my life that is unconfessed and I would like to surrender that to Jesus. I'd like to have him be my, my Lord and my Savior, the guy who rules and runs my life. In a moment, I'm going to ask for people to do two things. First is with nobody looking around, I'm going to ask for people to raise their hand and then make eye contact with me. That'll be your act of confession. And then after that, I'm going to ask for everybody in here to repeat a prayer after me. And if you repeat that prayer and you mean it in your heart, the Bible says that you, you will be saved. So if you're here today and you say, Sean, I don't, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'd like to with nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thanks. Thanks, 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 thanks. Okay, with nobody looking around, I'm gonna just ask you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I've got sin in my life. I don't want it. Please take it. Please forgive it. Come into my life. Change me. Save me. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here and, and you've done that step before. You've become a, a follower of Jesus, but maybe you haven't experienced this third step. And next week, we're going to talk more in depth about it. But the confusing thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of power is that sometimes we think that it's like something that will overwhelm us. It's something that we'll lose total control. But... Uh, when I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit or with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues, uh, I feel like the Lord revealed to me that it is similar to the salvation process. And in the, in the salvation process, here's what you have to do. You have to acknowledge that you don't have something, AKA a relationship with Jesus. And then, and then you have to confess, open your mouth and speak by faith. That's what it is. And so for me, uh, every time I would think about uh, speaking in tongues, if you would, uh, f for like two years, like this, like a word would come into my mind, but I thought that it was foolish. I thought that there's no way that that's it. And for me, speaking in tongues just started with one weird, one word that was weird that didn't make sense to me. But the minute that I opened my mouth and by faith spoke that out, suddenly God began to give me more. And so if you're here and you have never received that baptism, that, that baptism in or of the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues, with nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand so that I could pray for you? I'm going to pray that even now 
that as you go throughout, you can put your hands down. I'm going to pray. Here's my prayer. I'm not going to bring people up to the front. I don't want to be a cliff note in somebody's future sermon. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal himself to you. And that, that as you begin to pray, as he begin to reveal, begins to reveal things to you, you'll open up your mouth and you'll speak it by faith. It could be in your car. It could be in your house. It could be in here. And so, God, today we love you. We thank you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who gives us power, who gives us uh, not just salvation, but as we step through this process uh, of this progression, God, you reveal yourself more and more and more. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that has been promised in our lives. And God, I pray today that you would reveal that to my friends in this place and that as they open their mouths, they'll speak out by faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast, Chew on That. The Chew on That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week. Uh-huh.